the Chicano player is the most important player right now in this continent. This is a player who, who now has the ability to choose which national, national team they play for, whether it be Mexican national team or the U.S. national team. They've got certain characteristics um, that are of value to both. These Mexican clubs are seeing the value in this player, and they're investing lots of money to bring these players over. Um, I, I just don't understand why we're not seeing the same value in our own players. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI.com's Brian Strauss and SI.com's Ben Littleton. Uh, a little later on, we have an interview between SI senior writer Grant Wall and Hercules Gomez, former U.S. men's national team and recently waived Toronto FC forward. Uh, very interesting comments to come from Herc, so stay, stick around for that. Um, want to start with some some Champions League talk, and then in a, a little while, Ben, we're going to help you find an MLS team to support. A lot of MLS exposure overseas now. Uh, we we want to get you a team, so so we're going to do that. Uh, but first, let's let's start with the Champions League. Uh, the quarterfinals are half set. Uh, Real Madrid, Wolfsburg, PSG, and Benfica have punched their tickets. Ben, I want to start with the PSG Chelsea tie. Um, PSG goes into Stamford Bridge. They win. They put it away uh, convincingly. I thought uh, was this a statement from PSG? Is this a team that that can really run the table and win the whole thing? I think it was a statement from PSG, and also you could say um, some kind of statement, not necessarily a good one, from Chelsea as well. Compare these two sides two years ago when they first met in the knockout rounds of the competition, and Chelsea won on away goals thanks to a very late goal from Demba Bar last season. You could see that PSG had improved. And they got through this time on away goals. Uh, and this season, PSG's improvement has inc- has continued and and Chelsea have, have gone backwards. PSG won both games, home and away, deservedly so, both times. And there there is a bit of a gulf appearing between the two. And while PSG can look forwards to um, the last date and be really among the, the serious contenders to win it, you wonder... What is next for Chelsea? Because there's going to be huge changes at the club with a new coach coming in, whoever that may be. And you'd imagine some kind of overhaul of the playing staff as well. And so it's very important they get it right because this is the first time they haven't been in the Champions League since Roman Abramovich took over the club in 2003, uh, 2004. So um, it's huge change there. And you want to make sure, as a Chelsea fan, that you avoid the fate of Manchester United, who spent one year out, then got back in and then looked like they're going to be out again. You want to get back in straight away. But, you know, it's not necessarily that easy. Yeah, tough times for the Blues indeed. Uh, I was personally impressed with PSG. I I thought they were, um, it was a professional performance. I I just thought they they went in and and took care of business. Latan Ibrahimovic, the great assist and, and a great goal to finish it off. Uh, he looks like a, a player on a mission. And I know, I think we're all kind of assuming that we're going to get some sort of combination of, of Barcelona and Bayern Munich or, or Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, in the final potentially. But, but I, PSG is, has as good a shot as, as any. And I mean, their league is taken care of. They, they can use the league to rest players. I know the, the, the knock on a, a team that's so far ahead of their league competition is that they don't have the, the week in week out competition fighting for their lives. Like they might be in champions league. But I, I almost think that if Laurent Blanc wants, he can kind of use the, the league season to to just rest players and, and use it strategically. Well, I would agree with that. 
Totally. I mean, in the, in the next round of the draw, you might see Barcelona be paired against Bayern Munich. So one gets knocked out automatically. And I know we'll end up talking about Real Madrid. But for me, they don't appear to be as big a threat as in previous years. They don't look like they're as close to the team unit that um, you, you get from Barcelona or Bayern Munich. So um, I would not necessarily put them in in the top group. I think they're two teams that are above the rest. And then it's all to play for. And when you have a player like Ibrahimovic, but not only him, because, you know, the star of both legs really was Angel Di Maria. Sure. He, he crossed uh, for Ibrahimovic both times. He made the assist for Ibra's assist, and then he made the assist for Ibra's goal. And he was a player that the narrative in England was he's back in England, he's got a point to prove. But actually, this is a guy who belongs in the top 10 players in the world, and he's simply doing what he does when it's big games, and he's performing brilliantly. Let's not forget, he was man of the match in the Champions League final when Real Madrid beat Atletico Madrid in 2014. This is a guy that belongs there. So we look at the struggles Manchester United have had under Louis van Gaal, and arguably his biggest failure was his inability to get anything out of Di Maria because this guy is class. He had freedom um, to, to go wherever he wanted against Chelsea and he found pockets of space, as he did in the first leg as well. Um, he, he was impossible for them to deal with. And, and he is the kind of guy who, who can make the difference against um, big opposition like Barcelona and Bayern Munich. And if those two are on their game, then I think PSG can go a long way. It's got to drive Manchester United fans crazy uh, as they take part in the Europa League against Liverpool, which is, admittedly, I'm excited to watch that. I think that'll be great. First time they've ever met in European competition. Um, but it's just got to drive them nuts to see Di Maria playing so well. Uh, Brian, would you agree that, that Real Madrid is kind of a step below um, where PSG and Bayern and Barcelona are at, at this juncture? Yeah, I'd agree they're a step below, but I don't think PSG is a step above Madrid. I, I would put PSG and Madrid as 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 second-tier teams that perhaps could make the final uh, if they're on a, the opposite side of the bracket of, of Barcelona and Bayern, who I think are clearly the class of the Champions League this year. Um, PSG, the, le- the league is too easy for them. They're the Liga. It, it, I mean, there has to be, I do agree with a lot of the people who say that the Premier League teams are sort of exhausted uh, by, by, by the gauntlet of, of playing in a league that's more finely balanced than a lot of other, uh, a lot of the other big leagues in Europe. But I think you need some competition. I think you need something to keep you sharp. And I feel like for Barcelona and Bayern, uh, there are teams in their league. There are games against you know the top three or four teams that come around every so often that 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 not only force them to remain sharp, but force the managers and the technical directors to 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 have deeper rosters, to have more competition at more positions. And I just don't see the depth on PSG uh, that could either handle playing in the Bundesliga or La Liga. Or that could handle Bayern or Barcelona in uh, in a Champions League tie. I mean, I agree with Ben that that Zlatan and Di Maria are fantastic players, but after that, there's far more of a drop off than you see at Bayern and and Barcelona. So I I think both Madrid and PSG are very good teams. I think they're teams that, like I said, if the draw goes their way, could certainly we could certainly see them in the final. But I wouldn't I wouldn't bet two dollars on either of them winning this thing over over Barcelona or Bayern. Ben, speaking of of the the weaker teams and the draw that that's going to take place next week after the quarterfinals are finished, uh, do you see Wolfsburg, Benfica, and then if if PSV Eindhoven or, or Dinamo Kiev make it through, do you see any of those four really causing a, a problem, or are are we going to be looking at a, a super semifinal again? 
it's a difficult one because in the last few years there have been surprise finalists. I mean, Atletico Madrid, when they reached the final, were a surprise finalist. The year before that, Borussia Dortmund reached the final in 2013. That was a surprise then. Um, and last year, Juventus reaching the final was a surprise. So the competition does have surprises. It's just a question of what what do you call a surprise nowadays? Because Wolfsburg, if they're drawn against Benfica, could could reach right. the semis. Right. You I guess it, it all does but depend I, on the ping pong balls. Well, exactly. And it comes down to basically which club is the richest. And at the moment, uh, all four of the richest, richer clubs beat less rich opposition, which is funny because after the Chelsea game, Gus Hiddink said, well, you know, it's very difficult. You look at their bench and you look at our bench and they brought Cavani on and we brought Bertrand Traore on. And and this is Chelsea, who are owned by Abramovich, you know, the <laughs> ultimate side, the side that um, for whom Arsene Wenger coined the phrase financial doping. And <laughs> they're playing themselves as the impoverished relation to, you know, the Qatari uh, petrodollar. So it's a very bizarre situation when you see Chelsea painting themselves as these, you know, poor relations who can't compete on the European stage because... Their opposition can bring on a 64 million million uh, euro substitute, and at the moment, that's that's the um, the way it's played out. I think um, Bayern and Barcelona will get through, as will Man City, and I, and I I think um, Atletico Madrid are favourites to to get past PSV as well. But you know, Benfica are consistently strong in in the end of European competition. I think. Only two or three other sides have reached more quarter and semi-finals of this competition than Benfica. So they have a history um, of going deep in, in European competitions. But if they're up against a side that's richer than them, then, you know, the sad thing about this wonderful knockout competition, which is probably the highest level of, of football that's played anywhere in the world, including the World Cup, is that, you know, until you get to the semis, at least, the richer team normally wins. Let's let's just take a second and and just feel bad for Chelsea and and it's and it's woe and and it just just can't keep up just with the big second, spending big boys. <laughs> do we have a do we have like a sad violin track that Alex can put in here where you know <laughs> get a little ambiance for the pity party? That's that's of all of the excuses that Chelsea can make and and there are plenty that. That just does not stick. Well, but, and this is what I mean about like Barcelona and Bayern playing playing in leagues that have a little bit more heft to them. I mean, Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg is a team that won the German Cup. Um, they they're a team with World Cup winners on the roster. You know, I mean, this is a team with some pedigree, and this is a team that could, like Ben said, if drawn against the right team, could do some damage. And and these are the teams that Barcelona and Bayern are playing. You know, Barcelona going up against the two Madrid cl- clubs, teams like Valencia. You know, uh, you know. Every couple times a month, they're going against a, a team that can at least give them some challenge. And so I think yeah. that's important as you get into the late stages of a, of a tournament like the Champions League. Wolfsburg are seventh in the Bundesliga as well. And it's pretty rare for a team that, you know, they are knocking on the door of, of top three. But, you know, they're, they're, they're what you describe as a mid-table club at the moment. Yeah, they had a brutal... To break into the top four would be huge. They had a brutal, uh, I think, December and January, and 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 um, I looked at some of their results, and they really sort of slid at that point, just hit a, hit a rut. But they've they've won, you know, gotten some more points recently, and seem to be turning things around a bit. And like, you know, they're not a threat to win the Champions League, but they are a threat, like you said, if they get the right draw, to sort of be there in the latter stages. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, real quick before we wrap this up, um, Ben, next week's round of 16, second legs. Uh, is Arsenal destined for a 2-1 win at Camp Nou where they can leave feeling good about themselves but ultimately get bounced in the round of 16? Why not? That's what happens normally, isn't it? When they, <laughs> when they, when they lost 4-0 to Milan, they won the next game 3-0, so uh, they felt good about themselves. I can't even see them beating Barcelona 2-1. Um, yeah, I can't see them getting anything out of that game at all. I think it will be damage limitation. Yeah, I no, I know. I'm tongue in cheek, of course. Uh, if if anything, I would expect Barcelona to to score early and and run away with it. But but if Arsenal is holding to the Arsenal plot line, which they tend to do, uh, expect a, a good second leg and and an ultimate elimination. But it would be interesting to see what team um, Arsenal Wenger puts out for that game because it it, it is a really um, tricky run in that that Arsenal have at the moment because they play Everton away straight after that game. They're still in. The FA Cup, they have they have a lot of games, um, you know, and you just wonder with injuries as well, which we know all about at Arsenal, is Wenger going to pick his strongest side for this for this game? Would would he dare, you know, leave out a couple of players just in just because he wants to keep them fit for for the league games because there is still a chance that they can win the league? Yeah, taking the long view, he'd almost be wise to, but you also you can't two nothing is as close enough, I think, where you know, you, you nick an early goal at Barcelona and all of a sudden there's there's hope again. I, I don't know that it's that it's that big of a deficit where you can run that run that risk necessarily. But if you're thinking about it logically, they're not gonna go into Barcelona and win by three goals, right? It's just that's it's not really that that feasible. But it'll be interesting, indeed. Um all right guys, I wanna wrap this up. We're gonna take a quick break and then come back and find Ben Littleton and MLS team to support. MLS just went through its first offseason, including free agency, but free agency is nothing new to the NFL. Uh, and on this week's NFL Audibles podcast on the SI.com podcast network, Mitch Goldich interviews Brandon Boyk about what it's like going through the NFL free agency process. You can listen to that interview and all of the Audibles interviews uh, by subscribing to the SI Audibles podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SI.com slash podcast. Okay, welcome back. MLS season is underway. All of the week one games, uh, 10 in a row on Sunday. If you happen to follow along the marathon, you had about 10 and a half hours of MLS with a one week, one hour break, sorry, to uh, walk your dog, go to the bathroom, get some food. Anyway, um, Ben, there's a lot more MLS on uh, accessible overseas now. I know that's a a point that the league is trying to stress. How, How, I guess, can you describe in the UK what uh, the exposure is like uh, on a weekly basis, what you were able to see last week? Yeah, there are um, three live games, I think, that are now being broadcast on Sky Sports, who have most of the Premier League games as well. So um, a dedicated football channel. And there's, I think, a, a roundup show as well. So I was lucky enough to catch um, the defensive masterclass that was Chicago Fire against New York <laughs> City, um, a seven-goal thriller, which um, highlighted to me that defences are probably not top of mind when it came to pre-season for both sides. But also I was surprised, or maybe I shouldn't have been, by the level of uh, refereeing where Chicago Fire had at least four shouts for penalties, um, two or three of which seemed not only penalties, but also red or uh, yellow cards involved as well. They didn't get any of them. But it's still nice to see New York City top of the table, joint top 
of the Eastern table with four goals. Um, and Andrea Pilo and David Villa, despite their high status, um, really did not impress me that much in, in their opening game of the season. Yeah, it was all of the uh, the complimentary pieces, if you will, for for New York City FC. Tommy McNamara, mixed Discarude, Kyrie Shelton, uh, Tony Taylor were the were the goal scorers. Uh, I apologize that that's the game that you had to see. I don't think that boasts uh, quality as as much as as MLS might be able to, but it was it was definitely entertaining uh, to say the least. And Patrick Vieira gets a gets a win on his his managerial debut. Um, Ben, we, we want to find you an MLS team to support, though. Uh, I know that's, you know, you've got more access to the league now, obviously, that that you can watch. Um, Brian, I guess, do you have any any pointers, any any way that we can help them find a squad? Well, you know, the, the, I remember when I spent some time in Argentina and there was this, uh, I, mean, I don't remember who said it the first time, but it seemed to be sort of a common theme uh, where I was told that you don't choose a club, a club chooses you. Um, and I like that. I like the sense that you've got to, you know, you, you, you poke around, you go to some games, you watch some games, um, and, and, and you let, you don't, you don't just force yourself to pick something. You sort of let it happen. You sort of try to figure out what club feels natural, whether it's the history, the personnel, the stadium, the city, um, you have to allow it to, to percolate and germinate and give it some time and sort of let it come to you rather than forcing yourself to pick something. So I, you know, I would take the time, uh, to, to, to try a a few different teams out, learn about a few different teams, uh, watch a few different teams, Obviously, it's probably cost prohibitive to come over and go to a bunch of games. It's not like in England where you can just hop on a train and see two or three games in a weekend. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's important that your club chooses you. Okay, so let me give you some criteria, Brian, and you can help me filter it down. So I'm looking for a passionate fan base. I'm looking for um, historic underachievers because I'm I'm English and we like the the underdog mentality because we never win anything ourselves. So I'm not <laughs> about success. Um, and everyone likes unlikely cult heroes. So, um, you know, a surprise player that perhaps has, has um, got a good, interesting backstory or has uh, um, succeeded against the odds. Um, and also a club that doesn't take itself too seriously, that has fun goal celebrations. Um, surely, surely that cuts out half of the clubs in, in the league now. Player, players move on from clubs, obviously. So, you know, you'll have your cult hero, but he may be gone in two or three years and you're going to have to find a way to, to stick with the team. That's fine. I can do that because you sometimes just need one hook that, that, that ties you in. And then, um, you know, you're stuck with the club, of course, because your, your heroes come and go. So whether it's Jovinko at, at Toronto or um, Kakara Orlando or who, whoever it might be. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm veering away from LA Galaxy just because they're, they're successful, you know, have uh, the highest profile DPs. Um, but maybe I should look uh, somewhere more like, well, Seattle have, uh, have, have got quite a, a huge budget as well, haven't they? Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, as as huge as as LA's probably. Um, you know, it's funny you said stick with the team. My, my team in England is, was relegated twice. So that that made it tough to sort of stick around, especially with the... Uh, the lack of TV over here. Where are you from originally in England? I mean, maybe, maybe there's a, you are from London. Yeah. So a, a, a cosmopolitan city, uh, a city that sort of perhaps mirrors London in some way. I mean, you're not looking for 
Columbus or Salt Lake, right? I mean, you you want to you want to support a team that maybe mirrors where you're from a little bit. Does that factor in? Yes, I'm liking that. Yeah. Okay. Well, then Toronto comes to mind. Um, historic, certainly historic underachievers. Uh, certainly a passionate fan base, and certainly a a, a bustling, uh, large cosmopolitan city. Uh, you know that that would be the the team that jumps off at me. Um, and uh, you know they have have some likable players. They're, they're, they're constantly, you know, trying to fix things, constantly trying to rejigger things, um, you know, trying and failing, trying and failing. Uh, and if you get in on the ground floor with them and they finally win something, you know, you'll have, uh, you'll have been there from the start. Um, so that, that jumps out. Um, maybe Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know. I love their, I love their logo and their kit from a pretty big city. Also constant underachievers. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you what you think, Avi, but those are the two teams that jumped to mind. I'm liking I'm liking either of those. I mean, I could even, I could go away and spend the next couple of weeks looking into both and um and, and see if one comes up. Avi, have you got a another suggestion? Well, if you're looking for historic underachievers, the Red Bulls will definitely fit fit the bill. Now they definitely have, have strayed away from the big spending Thierry Henry, Tim Cahill types. They're kind of uh kind of connecting with the fan base more, trying to stay more homegrown um, and, and making smart and astute signings. Uh, they've, they've changed their direction completely, but they've, they've yet to win an MLS cup. Uh, of course, if, if the champion here was awarded like the champion in the premier league, they'd have won the league to the last three years. So there's, there's that to take into account as well. Um, but you get the whole New York, uh, New York cosmopolitan uh, connection right there. So I, I would throw that out as a suggestion. Are you, are I think you just saying that because you love the right Phillips brothers. No, but it's 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 funny that you say that. But what Bradley's done in MLS, I think, has been has been fantastic. Uh, just given the chance here, he's he's really proved himself. Um, I will put this out there: I do not support a, a team overseas uh, at all. Um, not only just because of work reasons. I just I don't know. Just never really. I guess no club ever chose me. However, back uh, I'd say a good ten or so years ago, I was drawn to Chelsea because of Sean Wright Phillips, which you might say is that's ridiculous. Uh, he's five foot five. So am I, I, I'm, I gravitate to the little guy. I root for, for the little guys. So, uh, I, the fact that he came to MLS just blew my mind. Um, okay. I've got three teams to choose from. I appreciate your help. I will go away and I will come back to you with, uh, the team of my choice for this season. Ultimately, ultimately, of course, you know, you've got to make a pilgrimage to seal the deal. I mean, that's what consummates. I mean, that's what happened for me in Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, I, I went to England. Uh, I spent two weeks uh, with with the Sheffield Wednesday supporters group from London, the London Owls, and we rode the trains and and went, you know, played played pickup and went to bars and played darts and went to matches home and away. And I had to have that experience uh, to really sort of cement my bond with Wednesday. And then once they got relegated and then relegated again, they sort of remained my team because I had that experience with the with the London Owls. Uh, you know, and now it's been a long time ago, you know, seventeen years ago or so. All right, well, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to do that. All right, we'll get you to uh, to some MLS games and and have you pick a team and and by season's end we'll see who whose scarf you're wearing. Yeah, unfortunately, I think um, it probably won't be very good for that team in particular because I'm I don't <laughs> think the team I support normally never wins anything, so they'll probably all be going. Yeah, go for the other team, guys. Go for the other team. Ben, choose the other team. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Fair and, enough. And the Philadelphia Union take the lead. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Fantastic. Um, Brian, real quick before we close up shop, uh, I do want to go over some of the highlights from, from MLS week one, because there was a, a ton. And if you missed any of it, um, you, you could be forgiven. That's, that was a lot of soccer. Um, one thing that stuck out for me, Ignacio Piatti uh, for Montreal against Vancouver. He put on an absolute show. He didn't win MLS player of the week. Um, I think he should have. Uh, I know what Mike McGee did for LA. I also think more people probably watched LADC than they did Montreal, Vancouver. Uh, he put on a show, and without Didier Drogba, um, I, it's so important that he stays healthy and he plays like to the level that he did. So that stuck out for me. Uh, what What about for for you, Higuain's bicycle kick and a losing effort? Obviously, something, but but anything that that caught your eye? Uh, I mean, Montreal's three points probably the most impressive three points of the weekend. Uh, Toronto might argue that going into Red Bull Arena and and beating the Red Bulls two zero, um, but. Uh, you know, Montreal is really deep. Um, they seem to want to play for Biello. Uh, you know, this is a team that come playoff time, I don't think anyone's going to want to face. They got some seasoning last year, barely lost to Columbus an extra time. So uh, it's a team to watch. Um, people are going to have to get used to, you know, people in the U.S. are going to have to get used to uh, looking north of the border. I mean, that was an impressive win in Vancouver. Uh, for me, what jumped out was, was teams doing well uh, without some of their big names. I mean, as you said, the impact won without Drogba. NYCFC won without Lampard, TFC won without Josie Altidore, you know, Dos Santos leaves the field, McGee comes on and single-handedly destroys DC United. Uh, Orlando mounted that incredible 60-second comeback against Real Salt Lake, Kaká didn't play. Um, so, you know, teams are, are learning to win without their DPs, uh, perhaps coaches and technical directors are, are figuring out how to engineer some depth on their rosters. I mean, you pointed out some of the some of the uh, less renowned names on NYCFC, you know, starting with Tommy McNamara that sort of did the job against Chicago. So it really sort of jumped out at me, you know, what teams did without some of their big names and getting good results this weekend. Sure. And look, there's, this summer, there's going to be a lot of big names missing between Copa America. I know MLS yep. is taking a break, but not for the entire tournament. And the Euros as well, uh, when Javinko and, and Robbie Keane uh, are some of the guys who are, who are out. Um, so it, it is important that these teams find ways to win. Without their That's why players. Mike McGee might be the signing of the season. I mean, if you, if you look at, I mean, L.A. will probably be missing Keane, Dos Santos, Zardes. You know, Keane will get his, I mean, sorry, McGee will get his minutes. Um, and now that he's healthy again, uh, you know, not many players in this league who have the, just the composure and the knack around goal. Just, I mean, the guy is just, he's just so smart and serene with the ball when he's near net. And, uh, you know, I, that was not a fluke, what we saw on, on, on Sunday. He's done that before when he's healthy. Uh, and he's going to get his chances for L.A. this year, and that might be the thing that makes a difference, a masterful move by Arena to bring him back. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, there are 19 other teams around the league that could have signed him. He was a free agent. Uh, yep. In his 2013 MVP. It's not like he's doesn't have a track record. It will be fascinating now to see what happens with Dos Santos in L.A., I think. Uh, I know they there's... There's talks about a, a minor injury that they pulled him off for precautionary reasons, um, but he didn't look good either. Um, and if it gets to the point where L.A. is a better team without him on the field, uh, that's that's going to raise some eyebrows and and potentially just keep him inactive in MLS, which is not going to be uh, flying very high for Juan Carlos Osorio uh, on the Mexican national team. You can oh, be sure and the, of that. Jury's, the jury's still out on Steven Gerrard as well. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Plenty of talking points going forward. Um, that'll... Do it for this. Uh, ben, good luck again on, on your MLS search. I think we should throw Montreal into the ring now, too, the more I think about it. Uh, Piatti is a, a guy. He's not on, on the Drogba-esque level, but he's obviously got a track record of of performing um, in South America anyway. And 
uh, that's that's another cosmopolitan area I think that that you could get behind. So let's let's throw Montreal into the ring with with Philly, Toronto, and uh, and the New York Red Bulls. I guess we're keeping you in the Eastern Conference though. So that's fine, perfect. I will add that's it. That's good. It's it's closer for him. <laughs> he does make his pilgrimage. He doesn't he doesn't want to fly to with all. I mean, I you know with all due respect to Denver and Seattle and cities like that, it's an extra four hours on a plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did watch a Montreal video last year of uh, Didier Drogba encouraging all the young players to do um, some dancing in the dressing room. That's the kind of thing I'm into. I like that. You know, we do that all the time at home with the kids and even on my own, too much information. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they could be right at the top of the list already. Okay. All right. We've got a, we've got a dark horse front runner. All right. Let's, let's throw it on, on the pile and uh, we'll see what comes out. Uh, ben, thanks so much for, for joining us today. All of your insight. As uh, is fantastic as always, and you can read Ben uh, on SI.com. Brian, thanks to you as well. Uh, definitely read Brian's latest on Planet Football. Catch up uh, on on all the hot news on MLS expansion, of course, the US men's national team, and everything in between. Uh, we'll be right back with Grant Wall and Hercules Gomez one on one. We have a special guest on this week's Planet Football podcast. He played in World Cup 2010 for the United States. He has played for six teams in Liga MX, where he won a golden boot one season, and four teams in MLS. He is also the only person I have ever written about for Sports Illustrated who actually picked me up at the airport when I arrived in his town. He's Hercules Gomez. How are you, Herc? I'm doing well, Grant. How are you? Doing okay. Really appreciate you joining the show. Uh, lots of things to talk about. Uh, you're one of my favorite interviews, always have been, and you're on top of things in the U.S. and, and Mexico and all over the place. Um, as far as your playing situation, I wanted to just start with that, though. Uh, you got let go, waived by Toronto FC just before the start of this MLS season. What is your playing situation right now? Well, I'm not too sure how much I'm allowed to say about uh, the situation. It was a uh, salary cap issue, um, and mm -hmm. uh, we were trying to restructure a uh, contract so I could even stay longer, but it just didn't work out. So uh, I knew this would happen, and uh, waiting right now, I'm actually in the process uh, of uh, actually finally finalizing a few things to, to go somewhere. I can't really disclose uh, where yet. I don't know if that will come to fruition or not but it is an, uh, an exciting opportunity and and uh, we will see but there is something in the works hopefully it uh it comes uh, and happens so i can you know do what i enjoy most which is playing soccer looking forward to hearing some news there uh, i wanted to ask also about the mls failure in ccl concacaf champions league against Four teams from Mexico uh, recently here, all four MLS teams going out. Uh, you're kind of a, a CCL legend with, uh, with Santos Laguna in particular destroying uh, Seattle a lot over the years. Um, what was your sense of what happened with the MLS failure in CCL? You know, I've heard so many things, people blaming the scheduling. Um, teams are... They're not in form. It doesn't give them enough, it doesn't allow them enough time to get in shape, to get in game rhythm. Uh, but that's just one of many contributing factors, in my opinion. You, you talk about the salary cap when when you talk about the salary cap of you know a, a starting uh, roster's 18 versus the 18, and in uh, on a Mexican club, you're, 
it's not only a big disparity in numbers, but you're also factoring, you know, net versus growth. And then uh, there's also um, the amount of foreigners in, in the MLS lineup that, you know, don't really contribute to the to the American kind of growing. And there's also, you know, uh, Mexico has Fuerzas Basicas, which is like the academies out here, which we're just trying to sprout out and really see through and see these players, you know, playing bigger games, go abroad and play for some bigger teams. We still don't have those things. That infrastructure is still not there. This is just really like three or four of many that you can pick out of a hat. And, you know, the continuing expansion dilutes the product a little. Uh, so these teams have, I guess, I'd always stated that we play a 1 through 10 or 1 through 11 in the MLS squad and compete with majority teams, you know, in this region and other teams around the world. But when you start, you know, having to lose that player 10 or 11, through expansion, you start diluting that same pool, and it gets very difficult, you know. And experience has a lot to do with it as well. I mean, we just a lot of these uh, franchises down in Mexico, they're they're littered with national team products at all levels, and we don't just have enough of that uh, in the MLS yet. We're getting there, absolutely, mm-hmm. but we're just not there yet. So, how does MLS fix it? You know, I guess the easy thing would be throw more money at it, but that's not that simple. I mean. You know, I heard Landon say that if you threw 10 to 15 you know, million more at the salary cap, you'd get better players. Yeah, absolutely. You would get better players, and that would probably uh, be a quick fix, but it wouldn't be the long-term uh, you know, remedy that's, that's necessary for actually helping the sport in the States. We want to see American players doing well. I think Landon um, kind of touched on it. I don't know if he touched on it the right way uh, a while back with the national team, but you want to see your American product doing well, so the national team does well. I, I think Mexico's going through a kind of the same thing right now, where they're starting to realize because of the easy access to citizenship and, and to play as a Mexican national now uh, in Mexico, uh, it, it's creating an exciting, a more exciting league. Um, but you're kind of putting the Mexican national team player or the Mexican national product in the back burner, and pretty soon what will suffer will be their national product. You know, when it comes to the national team. And I think if we keep going down that road where we think money will be the answer, just throwing it quick fix, we're going to get there as well. It'll be great for CCL, but we'll start creating our own problems as well. Okay. Uh, you were gone from MLS for a number of years. You left in 2009. You came back in 2015. How much had MLS changed when you returned last season compared to 09? Night and day. I mean, it's it's easy to say that, but it's the truth. Uh, my last team in MLS before I left for Mexico was, you know, the Kansas City Wizards, and uh, we played at Community America Ballpark. It was a uh, AAA baseball stadium. It was maybe, if I recall correctly, capacity was about eleven five, twelve thousand. Uh, you were playing on a baseball diamond. It wasn't that much of an atmosphere. And now you look at Kansas City, and Kansas City has, you know, what they'd like to consider Soccer City USA. They've got a great atmosphere continuous sellout. Uh, it, it's something that's revived the city. It's an exciting moment for soccer uh, in that area. And, and it's no different. Seattle, Portland, you know, all these teams, all this interest and expansion, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Who do you like to be contenders in the MLS season that just started? <clears throat> contenders? Listen, if you if you uh, ever been on MLS, you're a fool. <laughs> So for me, exciting. For me, kind of really cool is a parody. I love, I love knowing that uh, you could be kind of like American football, where I'm a Raiders fan, you know. And every year will be our year. 
So there's a possibility of that. I think the same thing goes for MLS. If your team has a bad season, one one season, the next, they could honestly be MLS champions. There's a lot of player turnover. There's a there's a lot of uh, things that go into creating this parity. I I really do see MLS isn't exciting because of that parity. So who do I see as a front runner? It's tough to say. You know, we're in March. Um, if you ask me and. Uh, July, August, I'd have a better idea. Um, but just, you know, I, I think right now you have to give it to the teams who, who, who have been there, done that. You know, I, Columbus is a strong contender. Portland, Seattle, you know, Dallas, I think those would be uh, definitely the ones if I were going to just throw out a few, I'd say them. Now, I want to ask you about Mexico as well, because probably more of our listeners here follow the U.S. League uh, than the Mexican League. Obviously, there are a ton of people in the U.S. who do follow League MX. How would you say, you know, what would you say, I guess, to someone who wants to sort of learn and get into League MX? Like, how would you go about starting it? What would you tell them as kind of an intro? I guess I'd say, in a way, it's very similar to MLS. Uh, They have their own kind of rules and mechanisms. internally that uh, FIFA doesn't really share um, that make them unique. Uh, obviously, every every team, I believe, is kind of reflective of its environment, of its city's uh, climate, and I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. There are teams that are Puebla, which is uh, a team that's progressed, or a city that's been progressing. It's one of the, I think, sports fifth largest city in Mexico now, but you know, throughout its history, it's 90-something years, uh, it hasn't been known for, as a strong soccer powerhouse, but it's one of the original teams, you know, so it's that team that's progressed, or a city that's been progressing, it's one of the, I think, sports fifth largest city in Mexico now, but, you know, throughout its history, it's 90-something years, uh, it hasn't been known as a strong soccer powerhouse, but it's one of the original teams, you know, so it's like a city, it's it's got rich culture, and it's starting to, um, and with their academy players coming up, where they have their own identities, and, and you can relate to that, so it's about... If you want to become a, a fan of, I encourage any anybody who wants to become a fan of anything, find something that you identify with, whether it be a player, whether it be a, a team, a mentality, a trait, anything like that. Interesting. Um, you know, you've had several guys move from MLS to League MX uh, this past season. Omar Gonzalez is at Pachuca. Jorge Villafania is at Santos Laguna. Luis Gill is at Carretero. Uh, that's not everyone. There's others too. Should MLS be concerned about losing these guys to Mexico and potentially more in the future? I don't think MLS necessarily should be concerned. Anytime you lose a, a good players, that's of concern. But I think U.S. soccer should be concerned. This is more of a, a concerning uh, factor for the federation. These players, you know, may, it could be style of play. It could be, you know, um, for whatever reason. Uh, they're not fitting into the, to the system we have here. And it's not because they're not good players, because obviously they're good players. Um, but you need to figure out why. These players are falling through the cracks. They're being identified at an earlier age uh, by by Mexican clubs and the Mexican Federation. And you have them in your own backyard. They're being plucked. They're in MLS. Uh, they're not being, I would say, utilized correctly. Um, there's different systems, different styles of play, different brands, and that's fine. But these players then go somewhere else and, you know, majority of them strive elsewhere or they don't strive, it's up to them. But if they strive elsewhere, that's not really a good sign for, for your federation to be losing these players. So there there are cracks in the system. There are 
there's definitely something we're not doing to identify these players and, 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 and maybe get the most out of these players here. And I think we should be concentrating on that. That's an interesting thing because I've heard a fair amount recently about uh, Mexican clubs really starting to get more of a, a foothold in the United States when it comes to discovering players and, and bringing them down to Mexico. And uh, I've heard about this with other countries too, but you know, mainly Mexico. And, and in a sense, you have to just give some credit to the Mexican clubs, right? Or, or There's no shadiness involved, is there? No, I mean, absolutely not. These kids, these kids have, look, I, I said it before, and this, I've been saying this for a long time. The Chicano player is the most important player right now in this continent for their future. This is a player who, who now has the ability to choose which national, national team they play for, whether it be Mexican national team or the U.S. national team. They've got certain characteristics um, that are a value to both. So these Mexican clubs are seeing the value in this player, and they're investing lots of money to bring these players over. Um, I, I just don't understand why we're not seeing the same value in our own players. So if you were running U.S. soccer, what would be your solution? What would be my solution? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if it's creating your own division, making sure these players are, are being seen, um, being being nurtured and, 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 and grown in, in your own in your own house. To be later, um, to later see the you know the fruits of their labor um, for your national team, but there is something you have to do. I mean, these are players. I could I could sit here and I, I can tell you I can't tell you how many times I've been. No matter what team I've been in in Mexico, I have somebody coming up to me and all of a sudden they start speaking English to me, and it's a little kid, you know, maybe 16, 15, 16 years old, younger, and they tell me they're from. California, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, you know, Washington, things like that. I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh, well, you know, I was playing down there and, you know, I wanted to play professional soccer. And what about school? Well, I didn't have a lot of recruitment. And what about ODP? And they're like, I can't pay for those ODP camps. And it's the same situation I was in. You know, I couldn't pay for a $150, you know, one-day mini camp uh, growing up. My family didn't have those funds. Uh, whether we want to admit or not, soccer is a rich man's sport in the States especially for kids. It's it's something that uh it's pay to play and you know not not all the time do the best players uh, get to play. This is really good stuff. I, I I'm fascinated by it and it, it reminds me that basically whenever you're done playing, my friend, you've got a future in, in the media, uh in in television, whether it's English or Spanish or both. Uh I know you've done a little bit of stuff with uh the MLS uh, postseason last year uh, with their productions. Is it something that you've enjoyed? Is it something you want to do? And in what language do you want to do it in? If I'm being honest, I you know I was approached um, by the MLS digital department towards uh, in the postseason after we were eliminated. If I'd be interested in coming down to New York and and uh, you know helping them out with the MLS you know live show. And to be quite honest, I. I didn't have, I always thought it'd be something cool to do, but I didn't know if I'd actually be interested in it. But I went down to check it out. Um, I did it, and I actually, actually had a lot of fun. It was refreshingly fun. Um, it was new. It was exciting. It was something I enjoyed doing. Uh, it's a different way to stay involved in the game. And trust me, as the years wind down and you start seeing that you're in a talent in your career and you start thinking about the next chapter, it's not so much things 
pop up that you want to do, it's things pop up that you don't want to do. You start crossing up, you know, going down the, the list and saying, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, I don't. And then I wasn't sure about analysts or broadcasting or any of that stuff, media work. And when I did it, I actually enjoyed it. So it'd be something that, yes, in the near future, and you know, or somewhere down the road, I would like to, to get into. Um, as far as language, it, it doesn't matter. I think it's the great thing about this is I'm in a unique position where I've learned that different countries, different language, different brands. And I think that's, for me, something that, that I enjoy because you get to, to be a little different everywhere. So if it was something where I could mix it up and be bilingual, that'd be awesome. I mean, my personal feeling is that's kind of the sweet spot, you know, when you add the the World Cup television rights fees in the U.S., you have $400 million in English language for Fox Sports, and then you've got uh, $600 million in Spanish language for, for Telemundo. So you're talking about $1 billion just for the World Cup rights in English and Spanish in the U.S. And very few people who actually bridge that gap and are able to reach all those different audiences. Um, I think it's a, a pretty cool opportunity potentially for, for someone like you to exploit eventually whenever you want to do it. Um, how would you like to see, we're still sort of developing in our media coverage of soccer in the United States um, in a lot of ways, including on television. How would you like to see the coverage take the next step? Anything in particular? Well, first off, you got to get together with my agent because that's the best pitch I've heard <laughs> all year. Um, if I'm being honest, man, you know, I, I understand where we are, uh, where soccer is, uh, in our country, and trust me, it has grown so much, but I still feel we are just at times, um, and maybe it's because I grew up, so, or I didn't grow up, maybe it's because the last six years I spent somewhere where they're got a lot of bite, a lot of tooth, uh, and they're not afraid to, to mix it up and get, you know, get involved with players and coaches and question tactics, and that's, that's something where where I'm see, I'm just starting to see uh, some of it, you know, uh, whether it's warranted or not. I think for this sport to grow, there has to be more attention. There has to be more criticism. There has to be more uh, analysis. Uh, so not only the, the casual fan, you don't try to just attend a casual fan. Really go after it and and, and make a name for yourself. If, if you're going to talk tactic, talk tactic. If you're going to talk, you know, uh, gamesmanship, talk gamesmanship. But there's really got to be a little bit more, just I guess, bite to it here and. The closest I remember seeing was we were going through a, a rough time in, in, uh, with the U.S. national team before the Costa Rica game in Denver, and there was a Brian Strauss story that came out, and you know, media kind of really turned to us, and and it kind of started getting unsettling for a bit, and guys were on nerves, and and it just blew over immediately after one win, you know, and yes, winning cures everything, um, but I think for that moment. We're on Fox, we're on sports, you know, there's uh, coverage uh, in Mexico about what's going on with the United States national team. For that moment, um, it was of importance. And I'm not saying you have to be negative, but, you know, as a certain someone says, you know, every once in a while, if you get nasty, it's a good thing. (laughs) I'll mention that to Brian Strauss, who's obviously at Sports Illustrated now. Uh, Pretty legendary story uh, on what was happening at the time behind the scenes with the U.S. national team. Um, speaking of the U.S. national team, what are your thoughts on on where the team is right now? Obviously, 2014 World Cup 
uh, got out of the group, uh, then uh, pretty much dominated by Belgium in that round of 16 game. Uh, 2015, not a good year. Uh, it went out earlier than expected in the Gold Cup on home soil. Uh, you've been around the U.S. team. You've been around Jurgen Klinsmann. What's your sense of things? Listen, you know, I think it's still fairly early. I know people don't like saying that. Um, I don't like hearing that more, you know, I should say. Uh, but it's still early. Uh, you know, I recall in 2012, uh, going in 2013, uh, we had some games where, where we had you had U.S. national teams on track and we had other, other games we were playing in Cuba and Barbados and you know, like, wow, this is the team we're sending to the World Cup, you know, this is, how could this be? And I think anytime it's with the U.S. national team, things get magnified because historically it's the U.S. and Mexico who are the CONCACAF giants. But I think that's just so outdated and outplayed. We're in a region that's grown so much, you know, Costa Rica, what they did in the World Cup, Jamaica, what they did in the Gold Cup. Um, the region is growing. Panama's getting stronger. Honduras, I don't really know what to make of Honduras today. Some days they look like they're world beaters, and other days they look like they shouldn't be on the pitch with you. But the region's just getting so much better. Uh, it's not just U.S. and Mexico anymore, because historically you have been. It has been a two-horse race. Uh, we feel like we should be light years ahead of everybody else. Maybe. Maybe because of the resources we have and the country size and all that. Yes. Uh, but look, it's it's a young squad. Um, guys are, I think, last January camp. Uh, majority were going to get their first cap. Uh, guys who are going to start playing together for the first time this year, being around each other for the first time. It's going to take time. It's going to have to be a process of patience and learning. and uh, You know, but the main goal is, is Russia. The main goal is to be ready by then. Uh, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how you get there. I know nobody wants to hear this, but as long as you get there and what you do once once you get there. So I think ultimately one will be able to judge with your body of work, with body of work that's gone on. Um, but I'd like to see, I'd like to say that it's going in the right direction, but only time will tell. You never did announce your retirement from the national team, did you, Herc? I don't think I don't think uh, a guy like me can announce his retirement from the National Team. Grant, we'll leave that to to Landon, to to Marcus. You know, I'm in the uh, was lucky to be called bracket. So, you know, I had I had tons of fun, and uh, you know, if I'm being quite honest, it has been a great ride there, and there's nothing to announce. I'm just grateful for it. So, what's the threshold for who announces their retirement from the national team? I mean, you've scored six goals for the U.S. You played in a World Cup. Um, I haven't gone down the list to see who has officially announced a retirement. Beasley announced it and then came back a year later. Um, it's 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 kind of a, a moving sliding scale, it seems like. Yeah, look, this is the reality of things. You know, would I like to play for, for my country uh, again? You know, I think I'd always like to play and be there for my country. Um, but if I'm being honest with myself, if a player in my situation ever got called into the national team, I'd be questioning the direction of our national team. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be there in Russia. Um, I think it's important for these kids to, to, to learn what being, you know, a national team player is about, to, to, to understand what representing your country is about, to get them that experience, because ultimately they will be the ones there in Russia and they'll have that, and carry, they'll carry that responsibility of representing the country. So I'd like to see these kids prepared. I'd like to see our country go in the right direction. And I think that's the natural progression of things. So 
everything has its process. Uh, you know, everybody has their shelf life. Uh, national team uh, with me, that shelf life is, is long past. I'm, so like I said, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I enjoyed my time there and, you know, I'm just a fan like everybody else now. So lastly, one question for you. Who's got the better national team right now, the U.S. or Mexico? This is the greatest part about, I guess, my my dual culture. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough to be married to uh, a beautiful young woman uh, who I met while I was playing down in, in, in Santos. And she's, you know, full Mexican national, and she's a Mexican national team fan. Um, so, you know, I still keep up with everything going down there, and I'm very – uh, in the mix of the ring down here. So I get to see kind of both sides go at it uh, with each other and against each other. Mm-hmm. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's something crazy. It's something that's really crazy and unique. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I can't tell you that one fan base feels they're, they're, that they're going to have a better year than the other. It's just so similar and so crazy. If I had to say, honestly, um, it's a toss-up. It really is. I can't. I can't say one will do better than the other. I see them very in very similar, just kind of uh, ways in what they're trying to achieve and then the scrutiny. It's all very similar to me. They're they're going through the same growing pains, and it's it's really funny to see. You know, it's uh, at times doom and gloom in both camps, and at times it's it's almost like yes, we are the best in Concacaf in both camps, and. You know, it's so eerily similar, similar to me that it's very hard to decide who. Herc, I talked you up on the media thing, and then you don't go out on a limb and pick one team. What are you doing to me here? <laughs> I'm just trying to be as honest as I can. If I'm being quite honest, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see, I don't see one overtaking the other. I mean, I know Mexico's had a great string of of, of moments um, with with Tuca and now with Osorio, but. I tell you what, they're a special breed, and uh, the moment that uh, things go south, I think the dynamic of the team changes. And it's the same for the U.S. I think, uh, you know, with the player kind of turnover in and out going in and, and, and still not being a cohesive unit, you see a lot of the same growing pains in that national team as well. So it's really, uh, you know, the fan in me says, I want, you know, the U.S. will do better. Um, but if I'm analyzing both teams i just don't know that's the reality of things gotcha herc it has been an absolute pleasure having you on hercules gomez thanks for joining the planet football podcast thanks for having me grant had a lot of fun there thanks so much to hercules gomez for taking the time to speak to us uh, on this week's planet football podcast we'd be remiss before we get out of here if we didn't wish a couple of u.s men's national team uh greats you could say uh happy birthdays paul calgary Obviously, his shot around the world, shot heard around the world, uh, really set the stage for everything that's happened after 1989. Uh, so happy birthday to him, I believe, 52. And a 33rd birthday to Clint Dempsey. Uh, both of them turned, uh, had had their birthdays on, on Wednesday of this week, on March 9th. Uh, Clint Dempsey turns 33 uh, 10 years ago, though, and, and it's crazy that it's been this long. He recorded uh, one of the greatest highlights of his career, and that would be the music video to don't tread on this so with that we will let clint take us out don't tread on this
game took hold like the roots of a tree. Think soccer ain't a sport, then why not get sign me? Cause I got on my job and made the game ferocious. I was born with the drive. I got that from your coaches. Big hawking dudes, spitting truth in the booth. Stop, drop, and roll, I brings down the roof. Got nothing to lose and everything to prove. Don't change the mood, cause we done paid our dues. Best to get away for the USA. Now we're high, you might think we're a sun ray. In over your head, south side, fed. This is life and I'm grinding till I'm dead. Thanks to DJ School. This ain't Friday night lights, but I got the infrared, yeah. And you already know, Baker's on the shoes. You're hot and did the deal, and Big Hulk came through. Everybody got your feet, brought your hands to it. Real Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.